Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 22. Through Matthew chapter 21, Jesus had come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He then cleared out the temple, cursed a fig tree, and began teaching in the temple. Uh, people who are trying to put together the last week of Jesus' life remember in the morning of Palm Sunday, he entered Jerusalem and was praised. Then he has Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening, it was the upper room, and then Friday he was crucified. So people are trying to put together what happened in what order by looking at all four of the Gospels. And the guess is that Jesus had this conflict with the high priests in the temple probably Wednesday morning. Okay? Jesus knows exactly what is coming. He knows it is coming. He knows the day that it is coming. He knows that it took the, the next night he's going to have the upper room and then he's going to have the cross on Friday, and yet he takes the time to tell these stories that will stick in the minds of the high priests and basically condemning them in these stories. He does three of them in rapid succession in the temple to the high priests. The first is the two sons, the one where the father says, go work, and the guy says, no, but then does. The other one where he says, go work, and the guy says, yes, and he won't. And Jesus is saying that this priestly class is the son who said, yes, I will go, and does not work. The next is the wicked tenants, and he's saying that the, the caretakers of the Jewish religion, the high priests, are the wicked tenants, and they will be replaced. And then, in chapter 22, he does a parable of a wedding feast. Now, if you read through it, it is more of a parable of the invitation, because there's very there's nothing in here about what is going on at the feast, but there's a lot going on. In fact, over half of the parable is about the invitation to the wedding. And so if we look at the invitation, that's in verses 1 through 6. You have a king who is giving a feast for his son who is getting married. Now, unlike the previous two parables, Jesus gives the punchline first. He says, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And so in the previous two parables, Jesus tells the parable and then tells them that this is like the kingdom of God. Now, and people have guessed that Jesus is seeing their Disgust and their impatience that they don't want to play this game anymore with Jesus. And so he gives the punchline at the very beginning. He says this parable is about the kingdom of God. If it's about the kingdom of heaven, then the king is nobody else but God himself. Okay? And you've got to look at 
kind of with those kind of eyes. Now he's saying that there's a king who gave a, a party, a feast for the wedding of his son. Back in the time of Jesus and even before, when you had a, a wedding and you had a lot of money, like the king had a lot of money, you would give a party that would last weeks. If you read the first part of the book of Esther, the king just looks at how wealthy he is and decides to give a party to show everybody how wealthy he is, and it goes on for weeks. And this queen, Vashti, puts on a party for the women. So the men have a party over here, getting drunk and eating and all that kind of stuff, and the women have a party over here, apart from the men, and then all the merry mayhem that happens when Vashti does not support her king husband. And so this is a king like that. People who read this or heard this uh, parable would know the story of Esther. Okay? They have the Old Testament, they have the story of Esther, they would know that these types of things happen, that if you had great wealth, if you had national wealth, and your son was getting married, you would put on a a big to-do that would last multiple weeks, a month, six weeks of this type, and the people that you would invite would be noble people, would be rich people, would be people that you could get along with, and they would know that they would have to spend three weeks, six weeks, a month at the palace with the king celebrating this event. And this would be, if it was eight weeks, then it would be two or three weeks of just partying and drinking and eating rare meat and things like this, and then the wedding would happen, and it would be a great to-do, and then there would be several more weeks after it, so there would be weeks leading up to it, then the wedding, and then after it, and the invitation that is being given is for the first meal of this month-long event. Now, if these people were invited according to tradition, they received a save-this-date sort of announcement. It was probably a servant or a slave who went six months ahead of time because these things take a lot of planning and got agreement from the invitees. The king would say, well, we have you know, 300 seats for people. We have to go invite 300 people. And the servants would go to the neighboring kings. They would go to the generals of the army. They would go to the various people of high ranking until 300 of them said, yes, we are going to go. They got agreement. Their RSVP was sure this was not a surprise. And everybody who heard this parable knew that, knew how this system worked, that these sorts of things took months to plan. And so people were told, hey, April 3rd, it started. Can you come? And they said, yes, I can be there. So they had agreed RSVPs. And then they go, and the people just go, ah, I'm not interested, 100%. Of it. 
Not a single one of the 300 said, I will give a go. They said, um, let's see, when the season for the fruit drew, uh, no, 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 down here. Uh, they would not come. So okay, they called to those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So they went door to door, talking to all of them, and 100% of them said, I'm not coming. No real reasons are given with this. Now, the king, he's the king. You don't say no to the king. The king is under no obligation to explain himself. But he does. He sends another group of servants, and he says, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So he sends a second group of servants with an explanation. Even though a king is, has no requirement to give an explanation. And they paid no attention to the people who came, and they went off one to his farm and another to his business. Well, some of them seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And so when you get to verse 7, you have a problem where there are subjects of the king. These are people who the king has authority over. And most of us have never lived under a king. But the king is absolute. The king has absolute authority. The fact that you have countries today that have laws and say the laws are the authority, not the person, that's not how it was back then. You had a king who could do whatever he wanted invite whoever he wanted, and the people were under no, under obligation to attend these things. And so in 7, it says that he got angry, and he sent his troops, he sent as many were necessary, to kill the people who said no, to burn their cities, to destroy any wealth and any holding that they had, and you do that for two reasons. You do it first as a lesson to everybody else. You never say no to the king. You say no to the king. The king has an army. You probably don't have an army. And so the king has an army, and he can come, and he can destroy your town. Then the king says, well, I got these 300 seats empty, and I've got all this food prepared. Go into the Highways and the byways, the main roads. Now, when you're reading through the New Testament or the Old Testament, and it says the main roads, these are homeless people. These are wanderers. These are sojourners who go from town to town. They are perhaps beggars. Uh, they are thieves. They are people who have not taken the time to put down roots and to build wealth up. They are just grabbing whatever they can. And so back in the time of Jesus, they didn't call them homeless people. We call them homeless people today. There are homeless people who have no home. And the servants are to go out into those areas and invite them. And you can imagine the, the shock because if you're that type of person, it's quite possible you don't have enough food for the day. And so when somebody comes, you would think that it was a joke. 
You would think the king invited me, that I'm a nobody, that I'm a, you know, I'm a bad person. It says that they brought in the good and the bad, that is morally good and morally bad. There are people who are obeying the laws, and there are people who are breaking the laws. And both were invited into the wedding feast, and so it must have been, even though it's only half a verse here, it must have been quite an experience to go out and try to convince people that it wasn't Larry joking with you, it was the king who was actually sending stuff. And they may have had to bring proof or samples of some kind, but eventually you have enough people to fill the hall to capacity. Everybody has a seat, everything is ready to be served. And so the king decides to go and see who has been invited, because all the king's friends did not come, and so they're all dead and their cities are burned now because they were rude to the king. And so he goes and he sees somebody. He sees a man that does not have wedding clothes. And so he questions him and says, Person, why, how did you get in here without any wedding clothes? And the person was speechless. And so he's bound by hand and foot and thrown out into the outer darkness. And that indicates if he's bound like that, he didn't go willingly probably fighting with people who were trying to throw him out of the wedding feast and then Jesus says many are called few are chosen and so what do we do with this what is Jesus trying to say to the Jewish people who are listening to him the first is that the Jews especially the high priests the Levites they were the first ones invited. Their invitation came a long time ago. Their invitation started with Abraham. Abraham was the first one who got a covenant promise from God. He took him up to the hill, and he showed him the whole land of Canaan, the whole valley, and said, your descendants will occupy this. You got a 100-year-old Abraham and a 90-year-old Sarah, and the promise is you're going to have enough descendants that are greater than the sands of the sea, greater than the stars of the sky, and they will occupy this land. Okay? That is the first covenant promise given to anybody, and it was given to Abraham. And then Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob was renamed Israel, and then Israel had 12 sons, and the rest is history. They went into Egypt, 70 of them, went into Egypt, stayed there for 430 years, grew, and 600 men, so 2 million people, went from 70 to 2 million people, all came out, went to Sinai, and then with Moses, Moses got the details of the covenant. And any Jew that is listening to this knew what was said to Abraham, knew what was said to Moses, knew the law, knew what it meant to be a Jewish person, knew what it meant to be uh, a son of Israel, as it were, to be a, a child uh, descendant of the person Israel. And so from way back to you know, the earliest memory of the Jewish people, 
they were the ones invited. If you read through the Old Testament, you will see, especially in the minor prophets, the end of time is seen as a wedding feast. That is a motif, that is a theme that is throughout the Old Testament, and when God comes and finally vindicates the Jewish people, it will be a wedding feast. And so when Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this wedding feast, they are putting two, two together in their head, and they're saying, wow, he's talking about me. He's talking about my people. He's talking about my family. And I'm going to be there at the wedding feast. But then as he continues, he says, they said no. And what is the evidence that the Jewish people said no? It is everything after probably judges. Maybe Ruth. Ruth was good. But then you get into the prophets. And then you get into the condemnation. And what happened? Jewish people, under Joshua, claimed the promised land, wiped out enough people to gain enough towns and enough areas for all the Jewish people to live. And the plan was as the Jewish number of Jewish people grew, that they would continue to push the Canaanites further and further out of the promised land. And there's discussions in the Old Testament about why God didn't wipe all the Canaanites out immediately. And one big thing is, if there's only 3 million Jewish people and there's enough land for 20 million, and God clears it out, then all the wild animals will come in. It's one of the things that you needed people there to keep <coughs> the land going, to keep things being planted, to keep the wild animals out of town. And then they would be removed as the number of the Jewish people grew, and that's through Joshua. And then in the book of Judges, as soon as Joshua dies, you turn the page and there's Judges 1-1, they're worshiping other gods instead of driving out the Canaanites. The Jewish men said, ooh, there's a cutie little, you know, Canaanite woman. And they go and they marry the Canaanite woman. And of course, when you marry them, you don't just marry the woman, you marry the family. And so they marry a Canaanite family. And the family says, well, you know, you got a God, we got a God too. And they begin to worship other gods to keep the peace with the Canaanite people. And the book of Judges is all about worshiping other gods. And then God sends a judge and they're wiped out and cleaned out. And then that judge dies, and they go and they worship other gods. And then Ruth is a story of a family that actually rejects Judaism and goes to uh, the Midian to find uh, help because there's a famine in uh, Jerusalem. And then how God blesses the line of David from that. And then it seems like every page you turn, the, the kings and the people and the priests would follow other gods. And as soon as they follow other gods, they would break the covenant. And what this parable is saying is that when God sent uh, preachers and he sent prophets and he sent leaders and he sent godly kings, that the people just said, eh, I'm not interested. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing this other thing. And because of that, 
they will be judged by God. And so God says, and this is the plan from the beginning, God did not change everything because of this rejection. He says, we're going to fill it with street people. And who are the street people? We are the street people. We are the hopeless because we don't have a covenant that goes back to Abraham. We don't have uh, a history with God. We met God through Jesus Christ, and our covenant started at the cross. And so as Jesus is talking this way, he is alluding to the fact that a new group of people that we call Christians, that we call the church, are going to be the people that are going to fill God's um, wedding hall, banquet hall, when it's all said and done. That when we get to heaven and we see in heaven, it is going to be a vastly diverse group of people. It is going to be people who are very newly saved or have been saved most of their life, but it's going to be people from every nation, every skin color, every language, every continent. And you can find a corner of the world, and there will be somebody from that corner of the world in heaven. And so you have this one guy who the king says, you're not wearing wedding clothes. And says, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes? And the telling part is that he is speechless. Now you're thinking, perhaps, that the person invites a bunch of homeless people, none of them have wedding clothes. That if you go and they, they look in the corner of their little plot of land, and they do not have a wardrobe. They probably wear the same clothes for quite a long period of time until they can beg enough money to get more clothes. And so there had to be some arrangement. There had to be something to give this person wedding clothes, but not this person to give wedding clothes. And so when we say, well, in the kingdom of God, what are the wedding clothes? And the wedding clothes is the righteousness of Christ. How do I get into heaven? I get into heaven by believing in Jesus Christ, and he imputes, he gives me his righteousness like a robe, like a jacket. I put it on. I put on the righteousness of Christ. Does not make me as righteous as Christ. But from God's point of view, when I stand before God the Father at the wedding feast, he will see the righteousness of Christ. That is my wedding clothes. That is my ticket to get into heaven. And that is what is being said here, that there is an offer of wedding clothes. And everybody but this one guy said, thank you, and took it. This one guy said, I'm going to make it on my own. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to bring my own righteousness into the presence of God, we would say, roll the dice to see how it works. Uh, he probably thought he was doing pretty good. He probably was a person who felt he knew God very well. And so because of that, he could stand in the presence of God, and God would say, ah, come on in. But God did not, because he rejected the uh, clothes of the righteousness of Christ. And so when you go back up to 7 and 8, 
when the people who were invited are removed, the statement is that they were not worthy. They were not worthy of being in the presence of God. And the question is, how do I get worthy to be in the presence of God? I cannot work it. I cannot buy it. I cannot earn it. It is grace. It is a gift. I have to accept the gift. If I accept the gift of grace and mercy from God, I become worthy. I am unworthy if I reject God's invitation. If God is inviting me to the wedding feast, and I say, no, I'm going to go do whatever I want. I'm going to go work my farm. I'm going to go work my business. I'm going to kill your prophet. If I do any of these things, then that puts me in the unworthy camp. Everybody in the world starts out as unworthy of the things of God. Everybody who's ever been born, except Jesus, starts out unworthy to stand in God's presence. Even Abraham, even Isaac, even Jacob, all unworthy to stand in God's presence, we become worthy by accepting the invitation. God gives an invitation to a wedding feast, to heaven, and when I accept it and put on the righteousness of Christ, I become worthy. Jesus ends by saying, many are called, few are chosen. Most commentators say this is the, the tension between God's sovereignty and free will. R.C. Sprawl said, God's sovereignty and our free will are two parallel lines that meet in eternity. We cannot get our head around how God's sovereignty works in this world, and we can barely get our head around our own free will and how we make choices to do things. So if you are, everybody is called, okay? The call, the invitation, when the servants went out to the street, it was given to everybody. The call to follow Christ today is given to everybody. Nobody is unsavable. The call goes out to everybody. If they accept it, then they go into the line of the chosen. They receive the blood of Christ. They receive the uh, righteousness of Christ. And they can go to the wedding feast. What moves you from unworthy to chosen is your choice to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to live for Him. And that is what this is saying, is that there is a wedding feast. The wedding feast never changed. The invitation never changed. The group of people who are being offered the invitation is moving from the Jews by default to everybody else in the world. Now, can Jews still be saved? Absolutely. If a Jew accepts Jesus Christ, we call them uh, Jews for Jesus. That is the group that we use. The Jews consider Jews for Jesus a cult. But Jew, we keep, you know, we, we witness to them. We witness to everybody. And who gives out the invitation? You do. I do. 
we tell everybody who's going to listen that there is an invitation to accept Jesus Christ, that the wedding feast that comes after you accept Jesus Christ, and all this manner of stuff, we are the servants that are going out into the streets and inviting people into the wedding feast. And if they accept, they become worthy, they become part of the chosen. If they do not accept, then they're just the call who remains unworthy. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I pray that you would show us who we can talk to, that you would show us what we can do, that you can show us how we can hand out the invitation to people around us. Give us the confidence that we are wearing the right wedding clothes and that we have the right invitation to give to those around us. I pray that you would give us uh, the grace and the blessing and the mercy to be your servants on this earth. And we ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.